Welcome to the Liberty Cafe, where oppression is on the menu. Welcome to episode 36 of the Liberty Cafe. This is Bill Peacock, and I'm very glad that you are with me today. I'm also very pleased to be sponsored on the Liberty Cafe by Texas Scorecard. They're a great group doing great things for liberty in Texas and really across the United States, and it's a blessing to be part of um, their effort. I'm also really glad today to have Congressman Chip Roy with us today. He has been working for liberty for a long time, uh, both working in the Capitol uh, as a legislative aide for a number of people, uh, Senator Cornyn and Senator Cruz, uh, coming back to my previous employer, Texas Public Policy Foundation, where we both work together and uh, fighting for liberty down here at the state and federal level. And then, unfortunately, uh, he's back up in Congress as my congressman and a lot of others fighting for liberty up there. And, and, and trust me, there's a lot of things that need to be fought for. So, Chip, we're really glad that you're doing all that and glad to have you on the Liberty Cafe today. Well, Bill, it's an honor to join you. You're a great uh, voice for liberty. Obviously, the Texas Public Policy Foundation is uh, – near and dear to my heart and all of our great, um, my former colleagues, your colleagues, the people that are out there fighting every day for Texas, for freedom, uh, to ensure that our kids and grandkids inherit uh, a country that they can be proud of, that carry on the, the founding principles. And, and you know, it's just great to be on here talking to you about faith and, and freedom and how those things kind of work together. But uh, it's my honor to join you. Good, good. Well, you mentioned faith and freedom, and, and that's a great place to start. I mean, I guess we could start off with how you keep getting yourself in trouble all the time, but maybe we'll put put that off for a little bit later. Um, so I'd, I'd really like to talk about, well, like you said, faith. There's a lot of people in government, a fair amount of people in government today, who call themselves Christian. And, and of course, you know, in, in the, the world today, in the United States, there's also a lot of people who call themselves Christians and who are Christians. Yet within those groups, there's a lot of different understandings about what Christianity is, what it means. So, so tell me, um, just from your perspective, I thought we'd start out by letting you tell us what it means to be a Christian. Well, I mean, that, of course, could be a you know, multi-series podcast, right, for us to have that and, and, and expound on it if you really want to get into the nuts and bolts of it, right? And you as a believer, and you know that, and those listening who are believers know that. The flip side is it's also pretty simple, right? We And as Scripture teaches us, we all fall short of the glory of God. And, uh, you know, through His Son, Jesus Christ, we uh, receive salvation and and uh, eternal life by our faith in Him. And and now that those are words, right? The, the question, of course, always is carrying that into action, um, or carrying that into your heart, carrying that into, um, you know, living your life and walking the walk, as we say, walking the walk with, with Christ. And that to me is, is the sort of linchpin, right? And you know, we could sit here and we could have a philosophical or, or uh, you know, de- a debate about, you know, maybe uh, sort of Catholic worldview versus, you know, Protestant worldview and, you know, uh, how we're supposed to manage um, our relationship with Christ on a daily basis, right? Like there's, you know, faith without works right that whole debate and then how does exactly. that translate into your daily actions and activities and i've always had the worldview that 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 faith is that thing that, you, that by definition is that leap of faith right that's that faith that you put in our our savior 
but that it has to uh, be wrapped in and around your heart and that it's carrying out in your daily um, you know, activities so that people, when they see you, they think, well, that person is filled with the Spirit, right? They, they, and even if they don't understand what that means, they recognize it and they see it. And even as we go through life sinning, you know you're trying to get up and, and walk alongside the Lord, and, and you, you pick yourself back up when you, when you, you know, to use an expression, fall off the wagon. It, and, and I know that's, that's a little wordy, but if you bring it all back at the end of the day, it's every single day for me, it's waking up saying, how can I uh, figure out how to spend the day walking alongside the Lord towards that, towards that uh, light that I know for me is everlasting life. And, and when I start zigzagging, because I'm a flawed human, um, that you've got accountability with your spiritual brothers and sisters, and you're pulling each other back onto the journey. And that's one of the things that I have noticed in Washington. People that I've known there for years, former staffers and friends, new friends that are members, um, the importance of that accountability and friends who, who, who are similarly trying to walk. Yeah, I was uh, just actually thinking about that this morning. I grabbed some Starbucks on the way to uh, work this morning, and I, I saw four men sitting at the table. And, and immediately as I saw that, I thought, I bet those guys are there having a Bible study. And as I got my coffee and walked over that way, sure enough, they all had their Bibles out over there. And, and that's what those those men were doing. They were sitting together, I'm sure, sitting together, uh, learning about God, using Scripture, but also part of that, you know, the, both that comfort, you know, the strength that you get from others, and accountability from others. That, that's so important. And, and, and whether it's one's Christian faith or... Which is how we would apply this, but but even just in the standard secular environment, you know, people understand the need for accountability, uh, particularly I think when you're in a situation as high pressured and full of temptation as in Austin, Texas, or Washington D.C. Would you agree with that? Yeah, there's no question, and and you know you you you. Um you find yourself, right, getting um, angry or frustrated, right, about the state of things because you're a human. Um, you know, last night, Kellyanne Conway was uh, joining us in the Hayes County uh, Lincoln-Reagan dinner, and she, she was interesting talking about her experience in the Trump White House and, you know, explaining why she doesn't get mad or, or, or react to the leftists who are attacking her and so forth, and part of that was her faith, and, and, and part of it was also just not wanting to let them win. But, but, but my point is that we're under attack constantly uh, if, you, if you stand up for what you believe in. And, and, and I think one of the things that, that Christians need to do a better job of, at least I'll speak for myself, okay, put it to that way, is we come across too often too judgmental, right, in as we're trying to carry out and set the marker for what we believe is the right way to live, right? In other words, when you're setting out the, the ideal, right, we believe, or at least I'll speak for myself as a Christian, I believe, we believe as Christian, man is between one, or marriage is between one man and one woman. That there is, in fact, man and woman. That there is a right way to live. That we should try to not use a sharp tongue. That we should be slow to anger. That we should even go through the Bible and all the things and treat your neighbor as yourself and so forth. And those are the things um, that I think should guide us and, and that we need to be better about defining those as the, as the uh, vision, the direction, the, the shining city on the hill 
that we believe as Christians that that's what we're striving toward because we're walking with the Lord. Not so much that you're looking at someone askance uh, as, you know, oh, you're lesser than I if you're engaging in some activity that, that we believe is wrong, right? Because I, Lord knows I've engaged in activity that I believe is wrong. But the trick is that I recognize it as wrong and I try to correct it, right? If I lose my temper, I look to figure out how not to do that again. If I use language I shouldn't use, you know, I try to correct that. If I, you know, maybe I had a one or two extra beers in college than I should have. Maybe I'll leave it that bill for, for, the, for the listening audience. <laughs> then you try, to, you, you try to course correct that, right? Those are the kinds of things that I think um, we can just be a better job about explaining that that walk is, for us is a constant, ever, um, you know, ever-present effort on our part and that accountability among our friends in order to achieve that objective even when we fall short. Right, and I, I, I totally agree with that. I think one of the pushbacks we often get from, Christians often get from uh, unbelievers or even sometimes from believers within the within the church is how the, the the idea that well that's what you believe but that's not right. what i believe how do you have the right to come tell me how i'm supposed to live yeah and it's it i mean they get upset when you're just talking to them on a one-on-one -on -one personal level about the way they live from the scripture but then it really ramps up when you start trying to think about this from a public policy perspective, what's your what's your response or pushback to, to folks uh, who who make that claim that that you can't tell me how to live my life? Well, generally, what I would say and what I do say when people say that is, look, I agree. I, I generally speaking have no desire from a public policy perspective or a legal perspective to tell you how to live your life in any way, shape, or form. I believe in liberty. I believe in your ability and right to go out and live your life. The difference comes down to is when you're setting public policy that shapes our communities in ways that start to pull us as a community away from the Lord. So let's take marriage, right, or you know, abortion. And of course, there's other factors too when you're talking about the direct negative impact on a, another living being. So um, if you murder someone, for example, well, you're not free to do that. If you steal from somebody, right, and, or whatever, but if we believe abortion is that, right, complicated issue, we all recognize it's a complex issue, but that's how we view it, and that's what we talk about. Talk about it in terms of life, but I don't want to tell somebody how to live their life. I don't, but but I also believe that there are certain parameters that societies, communities, that we ought to be able to live by collectively, and set those standards that we live by collectively, and so the line between liberty allowing people to go forth and carry out their lives, but then having um, certain uh, standards by which we want to live. Let me make one other point. I'm sorry to filibuster. No, that's okay. I went to Israel, uh, you know, almost two years ago, and we flew in on Friday, and we stayed at the King David. We dropped our stuff, and we went off to meet up with a few of our Democrat colleagues and to go stay with some Jewish families that night for Shabbat dinner. And, you know, they put all their technology down, no iPads, no iPhones, no electricity, we're all sitting outside, and we're drinking wine and eating bread and, and telling stories and talking about history, uh, talking politics, talking tough issues, easy issues, life. And it was great, Bill. It reminded me of what I know you remember about how Sundays in the South predominantly, but Sundays across America, used to be where you broke bread with family. And yet it's basically everything was shut down. Businesses were closed. Okay, 
freedom would dictate that, that a store can be open on Sunday. Okay. But, but again, when we start moving in a direction and we change our blue laws and we say you can go buy alcohol on Sundays and everything's open and then baseball games and football games are going, and now all of a sudden Sunday is no longer the Sabbath in our community, right, as a, as a community. And then you have to start segregating. I'm just saying I realize Israel is a Jewish state, so it makes them a little easier to deal with that. But it's important. Community matters. How you build your community around each other matters. So that's what I would say to people who ask those questions. All right. So, so we we can take and apply scripture to a lot of life because you know, for instance, the Ten Commandments, those apply to everyone. And you know, as Christians, we would say, well, because God is the Creator, He created heaven and earth. It, it doesn't matter if you're a Christian or not, God is your creator, so you, you are obligated to obey him. And you know, now we get into a fight or a discussion with people because they don't believe that, but nonetheless, that would be our position on that. But then there are also laws in the Bible that apply specifically to uh, what, what the Bible calls in different places rulers and authorities or governing authorities. You know, for instance, you can look in lots of places. Rulers in, in Romans, rulers are uh, not a terror to good conduct. They are to serve the Lord with fear. And they're to kiss the sun, it says in Psalm 2, right? They're supposed to execute justice in the morning and deliver from the hand of the oppressor who has been robbed, Tells us, Jeremiah tells us. And they're not to build their houses by unrighteousness, or their upper rooms by injustice, or make his neighbor serve him for nothing and not give him his wages. Neither should rulers acquire many horses for himself or wives or excessive silver or gold. Deuteronomy. I mean, there's a lot of, we could find a lot of those kind of passages. So so how, how do you, as a governing authority, somebody, you're not in the executive branch, but I would say you're a ruler, uh, part of the governing authorities that Romans 13, for instance, is talking about. How are you suppo- supposed to apply Scripture to, first, I guess, you as an individual? You talked about it a little bit, but particularly these kind of things that are not just about your personal conduct, but how you're to conduct yourself as, a, um, as an official. Well, that's a, a great question. And again, I think one that we could expound on for a long time, and, and maybe we should maybe bring on some other colleagues uh, of faith and have a little bit of a debate or discussion about that. Uh, because even having this conversation, Bill, there are some on the left who will hear this and that it will be triggered that somehow this is a, even having this conversation is a uh, violation of the First Amendment and, and so-called separation of church and state, which of course you and I both know uh, was a uh, a single line in a single letter by Jefferson to the Danbury Baptist and was not central to the adoption of the First Amendment. Um, and and that when we talk about, uh, as leaders, the role of faith in how we carry out our decision-making, uh, you cannot divorce from who you are, the faith you have, the, the commandments you're under from the Lord, you can't divorce that from your actions as a leader, like any more than a parent can when they're being a parent to a child. Uh, we, we are under obligations and rules. Um, and, and so that's something that I think should and must carry into our daily life and our daily um, uh, decision-making 
as leaders of the country. Um, you know, specifically, right, I think, you know, it, it, for me, it impacts things like, uh, you'll appreciate this uh, based on your fiscal conservatism. When we have this whole debate about modern monetary theory, right, which for listeners out there, right, is this idea that pretty much the United States can just print money uh, infinitely, uh, borrow money infinitely, because it doesn't matter. It's the world reserve currency, and it's going to continue to be the world's reserve currency. And, and I'm being very quick in my description here, but basically sure. just keep printing money. I would suggest to you that that, is, that violates uh, any just basic understanding of the teachings of uh, throughout the Bible, right? And, and that in terms of our responsibility to be good stewards, to be responsible, uh, to be uh, frugal, to be, you know, to spend wisely, we can go through a different scripture on that. And, and we, maybe we can or should. But, but my, my point is, it, for me, when people sit back and do that, I mean, I can debate the theory all day long. I happen to disagree with the theory on, on its face. I happen to believe it's irresponsible. I also happen to believe we're funding tyranny when we do that, and that's just stupid on our part. But put all that aside. As a Christian, it's just wrong. And sometimes I think as leaders, sometimes you just have to take a step back. And, okay, I can debate this on the merits. I can go through legal analysis. I can go through economic analysis. Or I can just give you my simple answer, the common sense answer that most Americans, particularly Christian Americans, understand intuitively. It's just wrong to spend money you don't have, to borrow money recklessly, et cetera. I picked that example for a reason, right? Because it's not a traditional cultural value issue, right? Abortion, marriage, whatever. Spending, just money. But how much is money talked about in the Bible, Bill? Lots, lots. Jesus spends a lot of time talking about money. In fact, uh, I've just read, finished reading for the second time, this book called The, uh, the Maker Versus the Takers, by a guy named Jerry Bauer, B-O-W-Y-E-R. And it's just fascinating how he, he talks about Jesus uh, from an economic perspective. And mm-hmm. he focuses particularly on Jesus's, you know, Jesus talks a lot about, you know, the rich and some of the problems with the rich. But it turns out almost all of that conversation of Jesus talking about the rich takes place in Judea or right on the edges of Judea, rather than in Galilee, where Jesus spent most of his time, apparently. And it's because you have this basically crony capitalist system set up in Judea between the civil rulers and the religious rulers and Rome and the businesses. You know, King Herod had these giant public works projects and 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 the the Jews and and the Jewish rulers got rich off the taxation from Rome and their own. They the the temple tax that they had set up was basically you know theft because the way they had it set up it was kind of like the printing of money you're talking about. And so it's really fascinating and and, and I see that and then I apply that today and you're talking about the printing of money. Uh, not only is it just it's just creating this incredible debt and all these kinds of things. But it, it's really, in another sense, to your point, th- theft in that you know, it, they print this money and it goes to certain people first. And these certain people, you know, bankers and financiers and people who work for government and you know, those types of people in different industries, they get all this money first and then they, they get to buy stuff. But 
but by the time it, it kind of filters down to uh, the other people, it's not worth as much anymore because of inflation. I think one of the great inventions of the the modern uh, financial system is they figured out how to inflate the money supply without inflation showing up in the the in the markers. You know, everybody uses consumer price index and all that kind of thing, but people are still getting robbed by this process if they're not the first ones in the process. And so it, it really, it, it just printing all this money just is nothing but immoral. Well, and, and we could dive into that really deeply, and I'd love to come on again and do it that, but but for, I agree with you. And, and it is a perfect example of your question, right, where, where we as leaders have an obligation to do what is just. And I love that you're that you raise the crony capitalism issue and and again i don't want to take this down a path you don't necessarily want to go down but that is such an important point like from a policymaking standpoint one of the fundamental corruptions of our great american system right now is the continued advancement the exponential advancement of crony capitalism in our system of course it has already always existed because we're we're men and we're flawed and it existed at the beginning of the country in the late 19th century, mid 20th century exists today. But it is particularly strong today, the extent to which there is so much money that pours out into the hands of a few by virtue of a crony capitalistic uh, system or network of systems, uh, healthcare being a prime example, or insurance companies and hospital corporations, even pharmaceuticals, which I'm generally one to want to defend their ability in the market to go produce drugs. All of these companies, right, that are getting massive amounts of money through government contracts, government programs, government regulation, government laws, and then how many people move in and out of government, and then they go make money doing it. All of that stuff is so intertwined. So back to your point, as leaders, we are called on to be frugal, to be wise, to be uh, you know, uh, stewards of doing what is right and just and fair. And for me, when you're looking at, at, at in making sure the forgotten men and women that President Trump, I think, fought for so well, you, our job as leaders is to make sure that they're not being rolled over by this system. And frankly, capitalism ends up getting a bad name. I mean, how many times have you heard people talking about, oh, capitalism and healthcare and how it, it's so uh, bad and you know we need government-run healthcare? We have not had true capitalism and healthcare for decades, right? We, we haven't had the ability to be able to have uh, you know, a robust market where individuals can go prosper and go to the doctors of their choice. And then that helps everybody instead of having people getting run over. So as a Christian, you bet I don't like it when uh, the least among us get rolled over by the system, whether it's government-run system or a crony capitalistic system. And as Christians, we should be looking out for the least among these. I just don't buy the leftist trope that it's socialism that's the answer or that somehow that's the Christian answer. I believe it is being good stewards uh, of in, in our role as leaders to free up people to be able to go help each other through charity and through uh, through our labors and through capitalistic system uh, to be able to uh, produce opportunity and prosperity for, for as many as possible. Well, amen to that. I, I agree 100%. So, so let me, we, I mentioned at the beginning that you at times uh, are put out there in, in the press as perhaps uh, a, somebody, well, troublemaker might be one way to, to uh, describe the way they treat you sometimes. Um, and, and just recently, you uh, tweeted 
in the context of uh, the Senate going GOP going along with the Asian hate crimes bill, you, you talked about them. You, you said, well, the Senate GOP is utterly worthless and absolute <laughs> embarrassment. So I was having a conversation with uh, one of my pastors this weekend, and and uh, we, we had some disagreement on this, but he he was referring to Titus 3 and particularly pulling out Titus 3 2 here that says that tells us as Christians to speak evil of no one to avoid quarreling to be gentle and to show perfect courtesy towards all people so put that put your comments about the Senate GOP in that context and and how do you reconcile those those two things well, first of all, of course, I'd take that scripture to heart and certainly teach my children uh, along those lines. And, um, you know, look, I, Bill, I'll be honest, I've never thrown a punch, okay, in my, in my existence on this planet. Uh, I've probably been in some environments <laughs> where maybe that was a potential result uh, over the years. Uh, I won't say anything about ever being on 6th Street or 4th Street in Austin, Texas during law school. But my point is, I generally have sought to avoid those circumstances, right? You don't seek confrontation, right? And I believe that's what the scripture is getting at here. And when it says speak evil uh, of no one and avoid quarreling, etc., look, I generally agree with that. I mean, one of the reasons I got off of Twitter in January is I think it's a cesspool of negativity. And now I'm only on Twitter to a very small degree to go put out statements or, uh, or, or try to, you know, put, put some stuff out there for people to see. But let's take very specifically, yes, that tweet uh, in which I've uh, talked to my staff and we talked about the issue. I was like, all right, I need to get out and comment on this bill in real time because the bill is happening at that moment. Because part of my job is to shape public opinion or, frankly, more importantly, and sometimes at that moment, shape my colleagues' opinion. And the Senate passes a piece of legislation that, in my view, was very damaging because it engages in thought crime, thought police. And what I would tell you, and what I would tell your pastor friend or anyone else who wants to have the discussion, that more people in this world over the history of mankind, from its very beginnings, from the Garden of Eden until today, have been harmed by authoritarian tyrants who are seeking to control our lives and try to control our thoughts and look into what we're saying, why we're saying it, and then tell us how we're to live our lives than by any other means of power or any activity in the history of man. I believe that. I believe that if you look at communism and what occurred in the Soviet Union, I believe what occurred uh, under Adolf Hitler. If you go back and look at uh, kings and despots in the past, King Herod, if you go look at what, what all of the over history, when, when rulers, I don't care if they're operating under the cloak of democracy or, or, or a Republican form of government or not, tyranny is tyranny. It doesn't matter if it comes from a single despot or whether it comes from the power given to an entity under a constitution. You're still using power. And when the, the, the United States Senate passes legislation that then embarks on uh, trying to define hate crimes and equity, right, uh, equity um, uh, commissions, well, now what you're talking about is getting into why people think things, why they say things, what they do. Now they're policing your, your, your uh, email threads, and they're policing your, your text threads, and they're policing your correspondence and communication, and they're saying, oh, well, you said this, so you know, we're going to have to come look at that. You know, we know best. But when the government starts doing that, people suffer. People die. And I'm going to stand athwart that no matter what for all of 
of, of my time in public service without any apology. And I do not believe in any way, shape, or form that's violative of Titus. If I were a little better at pulling scripture, I'd go pull the myriad scriptures, myriad, Old Testament and new, that talks about um, it, you know, standing up for what is right and, and standing up for uh, those that, that need to uh, have uh, you know, leaders standing up and looking out for them. And I'm looking out for those who can't speak for themselves against the power of those who are using and wielding power against them. That's, my, that's what I actually believe my job is at its core. Well, you know, the, the, the best defense for slander or libel is the truth, right? And, and, and so I've often thought you look at this passage and you, you think about speaking evil of no one. Well, if you're speaking the truth about someone, I, I, I'm with you. I, I don't see that being a problem. And, for instance, Jesus didn't seem to think that was a problem when he was talking about the Pharisees being whitewashed tombs, for instance. I, I think that I, I think it's a matter of heart as much as it is the words that come out of our mouth, uh, particular you know, and particularly when the words are true. Uh, there, there's room for that. Well, let me ask you about one more piece of policy before we start to wind things down here is you, you've recently filed legislation that would uh, designate at least two Mexican cartels. I, I, I've never heard of these guys before your bill, but the Cartel de Noreste and the Cartel de Golfo um, as terrorist organizations. Um, it seems to me that this, I mean, this is just greatly, you, you can't separate these cartels and what they're doing from the immigration policies of the United States. And it would, a lot of people look at, for instance, Trump's immigration policies and call them hateful and look at Biden's and call them compassionate. But, but to what extent are Biden's compassionate policies perhaps leading to some of the problems that, that you have identified in, in one of the reasons behind your bill to, to label these cartels as terrorist organizations? So this is an issue that uh, is near and dear to my heart. I've worked on in, in and around the border security and immigration issue for a long time. Um, and as a federal prosecutor in the AG's office as a you know, chief of staff to Senator Cruz. Um, and I've gotten to know the Border Patrol folks very well, people uh, that are very familiar with the border. We have two – well, we have – there are literally hundreds of cartels interwoven uh, that are engaged in nefarious activities in Mexico and illegal activities violence uh you know they they essentially control the government i mean amlo is pretty much a puppet of the cartels in mexico there are two that are in particular causing chaos uh in very uh terroristic and, and um dangerous ways to our country the cartel del noreste which is a faction of los zetas and they operate predominantly nuevo laredo del rio that sector uh along our border with uh, mexico and texas as well as the Reynosa faction of the Gulf Cartel, which operates uh, predominantly you know, in Reynosa across from McAllen down closer to the Gulf. Uh, those two in particular, and the reason I said that we should designate those two, but also ask on the State Department to look at others to see if we should designate others, is because those two control Tamaulipas. The federal authorities in Mexico, the police in Mexico, they don't really control Tamaulipas. These two are operating uh, in, with impunity. They are burning people alive, you know, locking doors and bars. They're, they're burying people in pits. They're beheading people, hanging people on bridges. 
They threaten families. They kill people and then hold ransom against their family members. I mean, it, it is egregious what they're doing, literally right at our border, across our border, and in many ways reaching up into the United States. The amount of uh, pressure they put on local government authorities down in the valley. Uh, just last week, uh, wrote an op-ed about a situation where nine people were in a vehicle in Bernie, Texas, Bill. So right outside of San Antonio, near near yours and my home. Um, and there was two in a trunk. They were heading to a stash house in Houston. They were getting put in the sex and tra- human trafficking trade. Uh, this is real, and it's happening. It's happening in our communities. And these cartel organizations uh, need to have their knees knocked out from under them. And they are as, every bit as dangerous to our way of life every single day as ISIS and al-Qaeda because they are pumping dangerous fentanyl into our communities. They're making hundreds of millions of dollars moving human beings for traffic. They are flooding our society with folks from the Northern Triangle to the detriment of those countries, to the detriment of Mexico, to the detriment of our country, and to the detriment of of the uh, immigrants in question. And the Biden administration is sitting idly by, allowing it to occur for politically crass reasons. They're doing it solely for those reasons, and it's an embarrassment. And so we need to call out them. We need to force them to try to act to secure the border. So I introduced legislation to discharge Title 42 to hold the line with COVID and people who could be COVID positive coming across our border. Border Patrol needs that tool. Trump used it. And I introduced this this measure to declare these two as cartel organizations so we can give more tools to the FBI and to uh, our authorities to go after and target them. I could go on this forever and ever, but the end of the day, I mean, I'll just say this. I mean, again, is we're talking a lot about our faith and believers. I'm just going to tell you that the seven-year-old little girl from Guatemala that I saw down at the Rio Grande who had traveled all by herself, no parent, no uncle, no aunt, no brother, no sister, and she was by herself. And then I know that 25 to 30% of these little girls and women are abused on the journey, that I just cannot tell you how much it offends my Christian faith and spirit that we are allowing that to occur on our watch that the United States of America, the greatest country the world has ever known, is allowing that to occur, occur in the false name of compassion is the most unchristian thing that I can possibly think of. Yeah, it doesn't seem very compassionate to me. Well, let's turn it back just to, just a second as we finish here, to, to back again to more on the personal level. So do you feel like there are are there other Christians in Congress that are— that y'all are working together, both hold hold each other accountable, both on a personal level and a policy level, to to so that y'all don't lose your way. There are a, a large number of, of men and women of faith in in the uh, Congress, I, and I, I I would never I always want I always very careful about how I want to talk about and characterize other people's faith, right? Because um, I think we do that a little too often, too quickly. Um, there may be some people that have very differing political views than I do. Um, and, 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 uh, you know, I never really want to get in the business of characterizing their faith. But let me just start with those that I know the best, right? I know the Texas delegation. I know my freshman class and I know the house freedom caucus, right? Those are the three, you know, folks I interact with by far the most. And then a handful of my, my committee colleagues, but the freedom caucus, I meet with every week, Right. And every week we meet on Monday and we sit down and we pray. We pray over a meal and then we talk. And then, you know, sometimes we get together in smaller groups and we pray. There are a number of different working Bible uh, study groups among members of Congress um, and, and, you know, strong believers. Um, you know, my friend Jody Heiss, who's running for uh, secretary of state now in Georgia, because he, he feels so strongly about cleaning up elections there. 
a strong man of faith who uh, he's kind of one of our guys who regularly call on to pray, to pray over us when we're, when we're uh, together and, and meeting, um, you know, and I, many in the Texas delegation that are, that are strong um, men and women of faith. And look, you know, I think, um, I do think it is still a central part of a lot of, of the way many of us think about governing. And, and I use the word governing loosely because I believe in representative government. I don't like to throw around the term governing, uh, too much, but you know, but those of us that are engaged in this business, um, if you will, of of uh, representative government, um, you know that faith is an active component for many many of our uh, members and colleagues. I what I think what I would say that troubles me the most is, and it's the re- one of the reasons that I've, I I so strongly oppose proxy voting uh, and breaking down our ability to get together as people. It's one of the reasons I think Twitter is bad and Facebook is bad. One of the reasons I think it's terrible that we don't offer amendments on the floor of the House, that we've just fundamentally broken that one thing that is so critical to success as people, it's human interaction and looking each other in the eye. And so you can look down across the, the, the table from a fellow believer, Democrat or Republican, can, you know, you can look at each other and say, OK, how are we going to figure this out? And we've lost that, Bill. Um, we really have. And if we have hope for our Republican form of government to succeed going forward. We need to be able to take our, you know, kind of groups of, of faith and prayer and whatever. We need to turn that into action of, of being able to look at kind of what I was getting at when I talked about Shabbat and we were over there for the Israel trip and we were bipartisan, you know, just sitting there over meals. We need to do that more often. And because of the virus and because of a lot of stupid policies and because of frankly politics and a broken, breaking down system, we don't do that enough and we need to do it more. But, um, but you know, I, there, are, there are a lot of believers to answer your question. Well, one last question. So I've been around, not Washington, D.C. for too much, but Texas politics for 30 plus years. And I rarely have seen somebody last for a whole period of years before they start getting corrupted by the system they're in. And I, it's not just the elected officials. I, I've seen it outside, you know, and, and conservatives on the, you know, the outside, like, you know, where, where I've been and, and other places. And it's just really hard to be in a system where everything is about power and prestige and money and whatever else you want to put in there and just continually to thrive at, with your original core principles on that you know one person who comes to mind who pulled that off was our former colleague Talmadge Heflin who was in the legislature for 20 something years and was as humble and conservative coming out as he was when he went in and uh, Arlene Wilgamuth lasted 10 years and uh, she she pulled it off too but I've just seen too many people not last this so I'm not asking here for you to declare how long you're going to stay up there, but but when will you know that it's time for you to go and and maybe do something else to make sure that that you as a person are maintaining the principles that you hold dear? I'm not sure I know the answer of knowing the timing of when you know your your quote through. Um, right now, I feel like we're engaged in in a, in a level of, of pitched battle for the soul of the nation and for the future of the republic 
that that I almost don't think about it in the traditional terms of, of well, you're going up there to serve for X number of years, you know, uh, you know, two, four, six, ten, whatever, twelve, twenty, whatever, depending on who you are and what your your, your state is. I, I view it a little bit more through the lens of, you know, what are we doing tomorrow? <laughs> what are we doing next week? And then to, to answer your question in terms of principles, right? Th- we've had so many. I don't know, kind of poignant moments over the last couple of years uh, where we've had to sort of dig deep and try to, you know, adhere to and stick to principles. Um, and and I, I, I like to think I've done that, but, you know, uh, time tells and you look back and, you know, you decide, you know, and let other, let history judge, you let the people judge. Um, and I'm not fully answering your question, but I'll just say this, that if you're, at a human level, so like not talking about it from a faith perspective per se, if I ever wake up and I'm looking in the mirror and, I, and I'm just, you know, uh, negative or thinking, that, you know, that, that well, the country's lost and I can't do what I need to do here uh, in order to save the country and move forward, then, then I shouldn't be doing that job. You know, maybe there's some other place I can go have a voice, whatever. But, you know, if you're serving the United States Congress – then you are upholding, you know, you, you swore out to uphold the Constitution of the United States and you're fighting to defend that Constitution uh, and, and to make the nation stronger. And you got to wake up every day trying to do that. And that's how I view my job. Um, and so if, if that ever is not something I can wake up every day saying I should do or that I am doing, then um, then I need to be thinking about doing something else. But I do think there's some some I don't want to say bigger issues, but there are some very um, maybe overarching issues that we currently face that that we're going to have to as people, as Christians, as Americans, uh, as freedom lovers, at least those of us who truly value freedom, we're going to have some um, reconciling to do, I think, over the next five years, 10 years. I think our nation is going to celebrate its 250th birthday five years from this July. And um, I think we need to be thinking about, okay, are we going to stand up and preserve and protect these great values that have made lives so much better and richer across this world because of our faith in the Lord and our, our preserve, uh, preserving and protecting a freedom or, or, or are we not going to do that? And I think we need to, I think we need to reconcile, you know, reconcile ourselves to that question sooner rather than later and get busy deciding. Well, I really appreciate your thoughts on that. And appreciate you being on the Liberty Cafe today, Chip. Well, Bill, it's my pleasure, uh, and I'm, I'm honored to join you. And let's get together soon, and uh, you know, keep 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 doing this. I mean, it is faith and freedom that uh, that went, wake you know, every day. I wake up. That's what keeps me going. And I'd also once again like to thank our sponsors for today's podcast, Texas Scorecard. Thank you for listening to the Liberty Cafe with Bill Peacock. This show is produced by Texas Scorecard. You can learn more about this show and find other shows at texasscorecard.com. Be sure you subscribe and rate this show on whatever platform you listen on. See you next time.